election of Ronald Reagan to the presidency changed the United States in a large number of ways, but uh, one thing that is still being felt today is that Mark S. Fowler was appointed to as chairman to the FCC in 1981. Uh, he's best known for appealing the Fairness Doctrine, but uh, one thing that had arguably just as much impact is that he deregulated children's programming. Now, the Reagan administration used deregulation as sort of a buzzword. Libertarians are getting an erection just listening to me say the word. This can mean a lot of things, whether it's breaking unions, making it easier for the industrial sector to, to pollute the air and water, but in the area of children's television, this meant that certain regulations against cartoons basically being thinly veiled toy commercials were set aside. The first animated program to take advantage of this was uh, Transformers, a product of uh, Hasbro. Uh, it was a very popular Saturday morning cartoon and it led to a legion of imitators including G.I. Joe and Gem and the Holograms, also Hasbro products, uh, Thundercats, Mask, uh, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the most popular of all. But uh, the one that we're focusing on uh, for this episode is My Little Pony. This toy line was introduced in 1981 under the banner of My Pretty Pony. However, after that didn't work out, it was rebranded as My Little Pony in 1982. After the success of the Transformers animated series, uh, an attempt to create an animated uh, promotional tool for the My Little Pony toys was uh, workshops for a bit. Uh, the first attempt was a special called Rescue at Midnight Castle in 1984. I say I special because failed pilot is, you know, not something that the industry likes to bandy around. A uh, follow-up called Escape from Katrina was, was attempted a little afterwards. What we're going to be getting into is the 1986 theatrical movie, uh, My Little Pony the Movie. In this, we're going to discuss the, the film, what it was about, what impact it had, the 65-episode um, animated series that followed, and how it uh, affected, reflected, and transformed the toy and pop culture landscape in its wake. We're also going to be discussing themes related to children's television, marketing to children, and how marketing to boys is different from girls, and both how it's implemented and how it's perceived. Uh, my name is Ryan. This is A Real Deep Dive. Joining me for this episode is my brother, Sylvan. In addition to being a historian, Sylvan is also a My Little Pony fan. I brought him on because I was hoping that while I'm going to be approaching this from something of a social historian perspective, which Sylvan is also adequate with, Sylvan is also a fan. Yep, um, I am transgender, so when My Little Pony was at its height in popularity, uh, everyone still thought I was a girl, myself included, so I was definitely the target demographic for this in the 1980s and early 90s, and we had a lot of pony shit growing up. No shortage of pony shit. And should be noticed that uh, the uh, the version of the My Little Pony film that we had was a Kmart videotape that was defective, so we never actually had the ending. I was going to bring this up if you didn't, actually. So when I was doing some bare-bones research on the My Little Pony movie for appearing on this, I hadn't realized that it was considered, like, a big failure in pop culture. Um, and reflecting on how we acquired our VHS copy of it, I really should have noticed sooner because I've always liked the movie and I've watched it into my adulthood and consider it rewatchable. 
But um, the way we got it was we were at Kmart and there was a big bin full of VHS tapes. And this would have been about 1990, 1991. The movie came out in 86. So, you know, it's been a while. And I'm digging through this pile of movies that look terrible. And then I found ponies and I was so excited. And when I went over to my mom and asked her if we could buy this movie, and, you know, in the early 90s, a VHS tape was a considerable investment. We didn't have the most money in the world. Most of the movies I asked to buy, we weren't able to buy, but she didn't even hesitate. So it must have been really cheap. And as Ryan said, it was defective. We didn't have the end. Yeah, you know how uh, most kids, at least back in the millennial generation, had at least a handful of movies that they would just watch over and over and over again and drive their parents nuts. Like, My Little Pony was one of ours. I probably wouldn't concede to it because I have a functioning penis. The people in my family with ovaries, they were, you know, not shy about admitting that they just throw it on whenever they were bored. I actually, beyond that too, um, so I was born in 1986, so the ponies that were used in this movie were actually mostly the 1985 toy line. So the ones that I had were acquired in like 1989, 1990. So the toys I, I actually owned weren't in this movie, um, except for a couple that were hand-me-downs from my older cousin. So I remember I would have like one or two ponies that I called the movie stars because they had been in the cartoons. And I would actually like brush out their manes all nice and take them downstairs with me and then put on the movie as though I was taking them to like a film premiere. That was one of the ways I played with them that definitely was like, you know, how basically their goal being realized that I was like tied into this, like the movie and the toy connection was really solid, and I really wanted more of the toys that I had seen in the movie. Yeah, we'll be getting into that later when we're contrasting the um, My Little Pony film to the Transformers film from the following year, and uh, how they approached marketing a new toy line differently. I'm sure our Transformers stands already know what we're going to get into there. But before that, we're going to get into the basic plot summary, you know, in case you um, haven't been as adherent to the My Little Pony film as certain others. I decided to rewatch the film a couple days before this recording just to keep my mind fresh. And I never really got sick of the movie, so uh, it's all pretty crystal clear for me. Uh, I feel weird as a 33-year-old uh, adult male saying that I've regularly watched this movie since I was about five years old. Yeah, if you're expecting me to console you, I'm not. <laughs> to be fair, I usually watch it with children I'm entertaining now. <laughs> Okay. All right, so uh, the film starts with the Spring Festival. The uh, the ponies have trotted out, and they are hosting, you know, a sort of spring equinox festival, although they don't do use the word equinox. Uh, there's a pie-eating contest, various other things. It's nice and pretty. Their forest friends are here. You get the idea. However... Uh, there are certain people who aren't cool with the ponies doing that. Uh, it's a group of witches who are on Gloom Mountain, I think it's called? The Volcano of Gloom. The Volcano of Gloom. Hidia and her two children, who are voiced by uh, Rhea Perlman and Madeline Kahn. Holy crap, are they slumming? Yeah, Rika and Draggle. Yeah, they want to make things dark, dank, and dreary. They want to ruin the ponies' fun because they're nice and uh, the witches are evil. It's a kid's cartoon. That's good enough. Hidia initially sends out her children to spoil the festival. They fail miserably. 
Uh, the ponies assess them as cute, actually. Yeah, the ponies don't see them as a threat at, at all. These witches are basically like Gargamel level of villainy. We're, we're not talking Cobra, Commander, or Shredder here. So Hidia falls on her backup plan, which to un unleash a mysterious, horrible monster called the Schmooze, which we will loop back to. But first, I should probably mention Lickety Split's dance recital. <laughs> Yeah, Lickety Split is, uh, even when I was a kid, I hated that pony. Yeah, she's a baby pony. Her side emblem, I think they're called cuties. Cutie yeah, they're called cutie marks is, is ice cream, you know, because Lickety Split. But uh, she's a bit of an arrogant show-off, and she doesn't want to memorize the steps of the festival, despite what Spike the Baby Dragon is trying to um, impose upon her while he plays his little piano. So she comes out in this rainbow ballet costume and just just knocks everybody over, and all the forest critters are laughing at her, and the pony who's in charge of it, Buttons, I'm, yeah, I expect you to remember that. <laughs> uh, she should not be in charge of children, by the way, because Lickety Split is annoying, but if you're looking after children, you should be able to handle that, and she doesn't. She just melts down and makes sure that Lickety Split feels thoroughly humiliated. Oh, yeah, the dressing down is both thorough and brutal. Anyways, Lickety Split decides to run away. Yeah. For some reason, they miss her, though. <sighs> That's harsh. But yes, uh, the pony is eventually uh, this noticed that she's gone because Spike, despite trying to tell her not to go away, decides to follow her around to keep an eye on her, and he leaves a note, although he doesn't tell them where they're going because they don't know. Anyways, a search party comes out, but while that's going on, the witches, remember them? Uh, they gather a bunch of ingredients for the smooze, which is a sort of a purple Dungeons & Dragons ooze. That is supposed to destroy everything in its path, and it they principally wanted to destroy Dream Castle, the the pony's home. And uh, the smooge is unleashed, and uh, they do it. Uh, they do a song and dance number. It's kind of a '50s doo-wop thing. Easily the best song in the film. Oh, absolutely. While the ponies are threatened by that, they go to find Megan. Megan is the preteen girl, kind of an audience. Uh, yeah, yeah, audience stand-in surrogate type figure who has the rainbow of light. The rainbow of light is basically the uh, the pony's nuclear option. They throw it out whenever things seem really dire. So Megan and her two siblings, both of whom are pretty annoying, yeah, they go and unleash the rainbow of light upon the schmooze, but the schmooze dominates it. The, the, the rainbow of light gets totally warped. It, it's warped hard. It gets warped harder than warped does. But... It puts up a pretty good fight, enough of a fight to make Hidia very suspicious because Rival and Rika omitted one of the ingredients that's supposed to make the smooths uh, absolutely invincible. And after that, she gets it out of them that they have asked the job because they were afraid of one of the ingredients. Yeah, it's called the flume. And the, uh, the fetch quest where they belatedly get the flume is probably the most awkward scene in the movie. They have to approach this vine monster who spurts out this green goop, which apparently is what the flume is, and the vine monster spanks them a good deal. Like, literally spanks them, holds them up, and, like, whaps their ass with its vines before it gives it up. But we digress. <laughs> uh, Lickety Splick and Spike are lost. I'm sure you forgot about that. The movie seems to. Uh, but they uh, run into an underground kingdom of trolls who were also um, alienated from their homes by the witches called the Grundles. 
Plymouth Grendels and rest of Grendels. The re that is how they are referred to. They refer to themselves as that. It's very sad. Uh, the King of the Grendels is voiced by Danny DeVito, a number of showbiz lifers who are, once again, really slumming it by appearing in this film. My Little Pony is innovative, at the very least, is that uh, it has a lot of well-known movie actors who are doing easy paycheck work decades before DreamWorks turned that into a thing. But yeah, the, the Grundles sort of help Spike and Lickety split out. Uh, meanwhile, the other ponies approach the, uh, the is his name the Moochnik? Moochnik. Moochnik. He's voiced by Tony Randall, another guy who's totally slumming it, who is about as absent-minded and as directly useless as usual, but he does point them in the direction of something called the Flutter Ponies, who are able to defeat the Schmooze. He also picks out a new home of them called Paradise Estates. Which you know, is pretty blatantly a toy set. Yeah. Way too long to figure that out. Dream Castle is destroyed, but don't worry, kids. Paradise Estate will be at toy shelves near you very soon. Bug your mom. <laughs> Lickety Split and Spike happened upon a flutter pony that is trapped in a well, and they rescue it, therefore engendering its its gratitude, which will be relevant later on. This is actually going to converge, kids. <laughs> Meanwhile, the humans and the ponies, they fight a giant spider for a bit, and then they encounter uh, the flutter ponies, who are kind of a separatist colony. They're not unlike the sea ponies, who are ponies with fins. They're little ponies who have wings. It's different. But not like the Pegasus ponies who have wings that are pretty consistent with the rest of their body. They just look vaguely featherish. Um, the Flutter ponies have these beautiful gossamer wings. When the toy line for that was introduced, the wings were incredibly fragile and breakable. So to this day, collectors of the toy line, like if you have an intact Flutter pony with the wings that it came with, those basically don't exist anymore. Like, that is huge amounts of money. I don't even know what they would go for because, like, so few of them exist. Most of the flutter ponies that you see on the market, people inform you, like, I made these wings as a stand-in. Available on eBay. Bug your mom. Anyways, uh, at some point, the, um, the regular My Little Ponies are able to shame the Flutter Ponies into defeating the Schmooze, and they go out. And well, the Morning Glory helps a lot. Uh, uh, I should probably mention her by name. Um, Morning Glory's the... Uh, the Flutter Pony that fell down. Yes, yes. Anyways, the uh, the Flutter Ponies ride out and they sort of deus ex machina the schmooze away. The witches are defeated, but they aren't killed because this isn't the Transformers movie. Although they are dropped into a volcano, so it's pretty stunning that they survive that. Eh, they live in a volcano. They're fine. They are. They show up in the cartoon series. Oh, good lord, do they? With different voice actors. Yeah, I didn't think they were going to convince <laughs> Madeline Kahn to come back. She decided that the Cosby show was a better choice. <laughs> More fool she. Uh, anyways, it all worked out. Um, lickety split. Did she learn a lesson? I don't think she did. I mean, she got a lot of attention, so yeah, she probably didn't. She learned nothing. Lickety split learned that if you run away from home, everybody will give you all the attention, and you will be the center of attention, and things will work out. Yeah, she has this really whiny, self-indulgent song, too, that kind of proves how little she's learning throughout the movie. Oh, God. I, I watched this watched that movie two days ago, and the I Go It Alone song. I, like I said, the Schmooze song is the only one that's actually, like... Oh, no, I'm thinking of the Wishing Well one. Oh, the Wishing Well one. Where she's just crying about how tough her life is. Through actions of her own. Yeah, that is pretty terrible. But, yeah, the, yeah, the Schmooze song slaps. The rest of them don't. 
Okay, and that's the movie, which we summarized perfectly. Wikipedia couldn't do better. Well, we did leave my favorite pony, Dusty. She's part of the search party, and she was one of the first ponies. Or I think she might have been the first pony to get smooths. Oh, uh, yeah, I should probably also mention that um, in addition to covering things up, if the smooge gets you, like some of it gets on you, it alters your personality. Uh, you become very disagreeable and contentious and rude, which is going to be something we're going to be getting back to. Hard to notice a change with Dusty, though, because so the My Little Ponies in this era, they all have room for about one personality trait apiece. I, a lot of 80s cartoons function that way. I didn't really see it as a bad thing myself. A lot of people point to that as a sign of like really simplistic um, writing, uh, kind of insulting towards kids. But it makes me see all of the characters as more like archetypes and avatars. Um, but yeah, Gusty's one personality trait is that she's kind of a bitch. Um, there's another pony called Shady, whose personality trait is that she's an anxious wreck. And Gusty confirms that to her on the regular, like, yeah, you are bad luck. Yeah, we would be better off without you. You should stay home. You are useless. And it's kind of true. So anyway, I like Gusty. Yeah, uh, one thing that you should note about uh, 80s cartoons that are basically toy commercials is that if it's a tail wagging the dog situation where the merchandise is created and then the cartoon is invented to promote it, uh, there are only so many mold options, so a lot of the characters look very samey. Like, if you look at the Ninja Turtles now, it's uh, sort of impressed that the Ninja Turtles should all look different from each other. You should list, you should be able to recognize them even when they're in silhouette. But back in the day, the only differences between them were, you know, the colors of their bandanas. And that's because the toy molds only had so many different configurations. And the only distinct aspects of the My Little Ponies in terms of aesthetics would be what color they are and the cutie marks on their butt. Oh, they have different poses, too. Um, I never got that deep into the pony collecting, so I couldn't tell you the names of the various poses. Uh, but I did notice that they tended to change from generation to generation of the toy releases. Like, there are Apple Jacks that are posed slightly different because one's from the first round of My Little Ponies, and a Apple Jack was consistent. They used her for a, a pretty long time into the 80s. Yeah, and the, the, the modern version, the one that ended this year, there's also an Apple Jack in that, right? Yeah, um, they weren't allowed to use a lot of the um, ponies that we grew up with. Um, I forget why. I think there's a, there's a specific legalese reason for that. But Applejack may retake, uh, continue to be their property. So with the Friendship is Magic lot, um, all of the main ponies, they're actually inspired by ponies from our cartoon, but they had to like tweak them into newer ponies. Um, like, it's pretty obvious Rainbow Dash is supposed to be Firefly. I'll take your word for it. Anyways, we're speaking from retrospect, getting to the people who uh, were around when the film came out. Not unusual amongst animated kids' movies that are blatantly toy commercials, but this one was widely panned by critics. Everyone hated it. Yeah, yeah, people are real harsh about that, and um, I think unfairly so in some cases. I'm not saying it was a masterpiece, but... It wasn't made for adults, it was made for small children, and as somebody who enjoyed this greatly as a five-year-old, it succeeds in that very well. I know it's better if the adults and the children are entertained at the same time, because the adult does have to take the child to the movie if it's going to be shown in theaters, but, you know, in theory, you're sacrificing some of your time for the pleasure of the child anyway. Uh, I do think that some of the uh, reviews were... Uh... 
skewing harshly because of the naked avarice. We were still at a period where um, unambiguous toy commercials were somewhat new, and the critics at the time found it to be disturbing and scary. Take a more recent example, the Lego movie, which is nakedly a toy commercial. But people were able to like it, largely because a number of film critics now were people who grew up in the 80s with all of these nakedly unambiguous toy commercials, so this is just our environment now and it doesn't feel weird to us anymore. Right, it would have felt weird then. Uh, it was also a box office failure. How it, it seems almost remarkable that it got a theatrical release to begin with. It seems like it was made for video. Yeah, it definitely has the structure more of like a three-part My Little Pony TV series. Like they, they did a lot of that when it got to the point of being a cartoon series, where they they just have like cliffhanger episodes that were loosely connected to each other. Um, this would have fit right in with that. It doesn't flow like a movie. And I'm guessing they were conscious of that, even at the time. Like, watching it, I could personally put in, oh, you could put a commercial break there. Or this could be, like, a to-be-continued. Yeah, because it was sort of, sort of a prequel to an animated series that they were intending to debut later on. I believe the first ten episodes of the animated series are sort of a sequel to the film, aren't they? Yeah, that's when Where the Witches Show Up. One of the um, critiques on it uh, that I was seeing a lot of was um, negative comparisons to the Care Bears, the flat characters, everything's so sickeningly sweet that it doesn't have enough complexity for children, and I mean, that's that's probably fair, but um, also, I don't think of this as something for older kids, like, it's for very young children, um, I, I don't think you need to get too dark. There, there's a lot of children's media from that time period that did get very dark and did give us nightmares, and I loved it and continue to watch it now, but it's also nice to have a few things that are, you know, easily digestible like this one was. Yeah, that gets back to the marketing angle of it uh, once again. When Fowler rift, lifted those restrictions and deregulated the industry, the idea, the reason why those regulations were there to begin with is that a lot of programmers were worried that if a cartoon or some kind of children's programming was marketed to, you know, very young children who couldn't, who didn't have the intellectual capacity to distinguish between storytelling and an advertisement, that you're kind of taking advantage of them, which I, I can't say they're entirely wrong. Oh, not wrong at all. I mean, it worked like a charm on me. I, I was really into um, the the ponies that I saw in the cartoon, the the ones that I had at home that never had an appearance in a My Little Pony special, um, whether it be Escape from Midnight Castle, the TV series, or the movie, I didn't play with them as much. Like, they were kind of my cast-offs. And uh, another thing that's brought up is that there are certain psychological studies that have suggested that when children are marketed to that relentlessly, they end up going growing into re- adults who are... Um, more cynical, which if you look at like broader um, strokes of how millennials are defined, I think that holds water. Yeah. I am suspicious of everybody's motives. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, that really does check out. But yeah, the failure of this film coupled with the failure of the 1987 Transformers film uh, led to certain restructures in the industry. Uh, a G.I. Joe movie that was planned was put out his director video which as i stated before was probably what it should have been to begin with there was also a gem in the holograms film under 
pre-production um, by Hasbro that they just decided to scrap. I also like to jump on the holograms. That was a pretty easy sell on uh, brightly colored girly cartoons. Yeah, I, I, I think the idea of me bringing up a um, gem on the holograms film that never happened might make you feel outraged. It's a little outrageous. Truly, truly. <laughs> I'm very sorry, everyone. <laughs> okay, well, let's get back to the film's quality, which I know Sylvan's more generous to it than I am. It's very cheap. There are a lot of very obvious animation errors based on properties from that period that, once again, are basically toy commercials, but are also storyboarded by Western artists and then sort of sent overseas to do do the grunt work and then sent back. Errors happen. Characters are sometimes the wrong color. Legs disappear. Stuff like that. Stuff that you wouldn't see in, say, a Disney film. But we were well used to it uh, growing up with the Ninja Turtles cartoon. Oh, yeah, and, you know, and just about everything else. If you want to have a positive opinion of Thundercats and you haven't watched them since you were nine, never watch it again. Granted, in most of these cartoons, at least the background artists do their job. In the My Little Pony film, I wasn't crazy about a lot of the background art. I kind of thought that they were oversaturated Thomas Kincaid paintings, which, uh, I mean, Thomas Kincaid's a millionaire artist, so somebody must like him, but I don't. Yeah, they're kind of pleasantly bland and memorable. Yeah, a lot of them are a little overly splotchy. The the whole Disney knockoff thing comes to a head as well. It does sort of follow the framework of your typical Disney animated feature, except it's much cheaper looking. You know, there's a very basic Broad Strokes Heroes Journey type of deal going on with a bunch of songs thrown in, except, you know, there are fewer instruments and more animation errors and... uh, a voice cast that doesn't quite have the heavy hitters that you'd see in a Disney film. Some of them can sing, most of them cannot, but boy do they put the enthusiasm into their rhythmic talking. Yeah, after you get past DeVito, Cloris Leachman, Tony Randall, Rhea Perlman, you get a couple of like voice acting lifers. Uh, Charlie Adler is Spike the Dragon. And a few characters too. Cartwright is Gusty. Uh, Nancy Cartwright is Bart Simpson, by the way, for uh, those of you who don't follow animating voice casting that much. And Gusty sounds like a stuffed up Bart Simpson, like it's kind of a proto-Bart voice. Yeah, you find that out in a lot of things. Anyways, let's get on to the themes of the film. Uh, The first thing I want to bring up is how, um, as a toy commercial, the My Little Pony film differs from the Transformers movie. I mean, the Transformers is a bit different because there were episodes before the movie came out, whereas the My Little Pony was supposed to introduce an animated series. But they were both introducing new toy lines. I said before, the Dream Castle was destroyed in order to um, make way for Paradise Estates. The Transformers movie also does this, but they uh, take all of the characters from the first season or so of the animated show, and then they murder them, and then they replace them with new characters, which is very cynical, and the people who made the film will tell you how cynical it is. The My Little Pony movie has a sort of parallel to it, because even though there wasn't a pre-existing cartoon series, there had been an attempt to get a pre-existing cartoon series off the ground, So that Escape from Midnight Castle um, pilot that you brought up before, we had that growing up too, and I used to watch that a lot. And that had introduced a whole cast of ponies that were, I think, the very first generation of dolls from the toy line. Um, Firefly, Twilight, Applejack, 
one of my favorite ponies um wasn't actually like given lines or anything but glory was in it um and so all of those ponies existed and had an adventure with the sea ponies and they actually got the rainbow of light from the moochick for the first time um so that still exists in continuity none of those ponies are in the 1986 movie not even in the background because the 1986 movie is pushing the 1985 toy line which had introduced characters like Gusty and Shady and Fizzy, who is a sparkle-eyed pony. Um, that was a feature. Um, she had jewels over her eyes instead of a normal pupil and iris. So, yeah, there were whole new ponies to talk about. So all the old ones just quietly go away, and it's not really ever dealt with. Yeah, it's hard to tell which one is more evil, because with the Transformers one, it's like, hey, kids, is Optimus Prime your favorite Transformer? Well, he's dead now. He's fucking dead. This is your favorite now. You love him now. Whereas with My Little Pony, they're sort of, um, Applejack has thrown down the Orwellian memory hole. What? Is that a photo of Twilight with Joseph Stalin? No, it's not. It's airbrushed out. There was never a Twilight. Never. Um, another review that I had read brought up the fact that uh, major plot points from um, the Rescue at Midnight Castle storyline are referenced in the My Little Pony movie, but not explained. And this was a failed pilot that eventually got like a home release through um, a set of um, a Firefly doll with the VHS copy of the episode. But you have to assume that most people going into the 1986 film, when it was released, I mean, not that many people went, apparently, but um, they wouldn't have seen that special. So the fact that there were major plot points referenced that weren't explained in the standalone movie would have just been jarring and confusing. Where does the Rainbow of Light come from? I know where it comes from, but I saw Rescue of Midnight Castle. Yeah, it's odd because they cherry pick like the Rainbow of Lights in there, and the Moo Chicks in there, Spike the Baby Dragons at the at the uh, Nightmare Castle special, but you know the other characters are just kind of gone. The Sea Ponies have a cameo, but they don't really do much. Well, the, the, they have the banging song in um, the pilot. Um, the Sea Pony song is the equivalent of the Smooth song. I, well, I'm not wrong. I wasn't gonna say you were. <laughs> Uh, one other aspect of the film in terms of its themes I want to bring up is the essence of conformity. As I mentioned before, if a uh, character in the My Little Pony film gets schmoozed, it makes them rude and confrontational and disagreeable. Or it just brings that more to the front, as in the case of Dusty. Yeah, and uh, this is just this is an element you see in 80s cartoons for child, uh, for girls, such as you know your Rainbow Bride, your Care Bears, and uh, one thing I definitely want to mention in more detail, the Get Along Gang, but it doesn't come up in boys' cartoon nearly as often. I mean, Snake Eyes doesn't have to worry about offending any uh, anybody else in G.I. Joe. Lion-O doesn't have to do this sort of thing. Leonardo does have to deal with dissension in the ranks amongst the turtles, but the idea of disagreeing with the uh, consensus of the group and not being compliant is much more of an aspect of girly cartoons than the stuff that boys are meant to receive. And that, I think, is more indicative of elements of uh, how we approach gender and society in general. Women are expected to be compliant and to go along with things and to and to find compromise and peacemaker and uh, to placate others and boys not so much. I also think it's really interesting um, 
I mean, feel free to disagree with me here. I'm just kind of going off on this, but uh, I feel like the 80s and the early 90s is probably as gendered as cartoons really got. And this is probably the toy commercial element of it, because in the 60s and 70s cartoons, people seem to kind of expect that boys and girls were going to be watching the same things together. And we're starting to get more of that now. That's been going on a little more in the 2000s. But um, in the 80s and 90s, girl toys and girl cartoons were for girls, and boy cartoons and boy toys were for boys, and there was all sorts of hell if you violated those gender norms, I say, speaking completely from experience, having liked both boy and girl things, and being treated very harshly for that. I think that tracks. I mean, more often than not, if you throw on the My Little Pony movie, I'd watch it with you. But I've never admitted publicly. Yeah, you actually had exactly one pony that was purchased for you, and you got it because you wanted the video that came with it. That's how we got the Escape from the Moon Castle. I don't remember that, but that makes sense. Oh, yeah, and I, I remembered that, and every time I brought it up, you told me I was a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but that also makes sense. <laughs> But yeah, there's an essence of conformity that I often see in the girly cartoons as opposed to the boy cartoons, which emphasizes more rugged individualism and stoicism and stuff that we uh, attribute to traditional masculinity from the 20th century onwards. Uh, but yeah, getting back to, say, the Get Along Gang, which I consider the most insidious aspect of it, the Get Along Gang, as their name implies, is that uh, if someone dissents with the group, they are just repeatedly reprimanded until they just finally cave. Which, I mean, the My Little Ponies and the Care Bears all have aspects of this. I think you mentioned before the Grumpy Bear is supposed to be there to, like, sort of give you an impression that it's okay to be sad sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think the Care Bears handled it the best of these different shows because, again, all the Care Bears are pretty simple. They're archetypes. Each one has one personality trait. And Grumpy Bear's personality trait is that He's grumpy, so it's supposed to be like you're lovable even when you're having a bad day and you're still kind of sad and difficult. Like, it's okay to be that way sometimes, which I think is a pretty cool thing to teach, again, very young children. Uh, the Care Bears is not great cinema, but it's also intended for, like, three-year-olds. Yeah, they don't seem to happen in the My Little Pony movie. Like, you know, the people who are schmooze, they're being assholes. We're going to have to put up with them until they learn better. And until they can get the schmooze off. Yeah, with the Get Along Gang, you need to be crushed. Um, actually, another cartoon from that period, Garfield and Friends, had um, a group of characters called the Buddy Bears, who were um, a parody of the Get Along Gang, who, because uh, Garfield and Friends writer Mark Vanier really hated the Get Along Gang. He thought they were encouraging conformity, which is... Boomer, bo his boomer hippie ass was very had issues with. Since this is a recording about My Little Pony that is being made in 2019, I feel that we should probably round things out by bringing up friendship as magic and how that sort of contrasts with the um, much more cynical and lazy pony cartoon from the 80s that peaked in 1990 and then was discontinued in 91. Yeah, so uh, I've got a fun little anecdote to kind of tie these two together. We have a, a nine-year-old nephew, Toby, who briefly got into um, Friendship is Magic because his cousin loved it. And, you know, again, it's a little easier now for boys to like things that are considered girly. Friendship is Magic developed a large male following. Um, much of it problematic, but the little boys are probably okay. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So one time when I was babysitting uh, Toby and his cousin Morgan, I was like, hey, do you guys want to watch some of the ponies from when I was little? And they're like, yeah, because like Toby had seen Ninja Turtles and Batman from when we were little. And those aged well by his perspective. Ninja Turtles cartoon, arguable about that. But anyway, so I put on the 1986 My Little Pony movie for them. And it did not hold their attention at all. Within like 15 minutes, they were asking if I could put Friendship is Magic back on. They did not want to watch anymore. Yeah, a lot of it is just that a rising tide lifts all boats, and I believe the people making children's cartoons now are just trying harder. And also, too, there's a lot of people making cartoons now who grew up with these properties the way we did, and they hold a nostalgic fondness for it, but understand that, you know, just because we loved it doesn't mean it wasn't actually, like, it was actually good and it can be improved upon. Um, A lot of those ponies that were used um, in the cartoons that we grew up with, versions of them, although names and color palettes swapped out for copyright reasons, um, exist in the new cartoon, and they really do take, like, personality traits that are kind of sort of there and nascent in the original cartoons and just give them depth and have them go through arcs and explore things. And it's it's much better done. Yeah. Getting back to what you brought up, uh, the um, newer version of my little ponies uh, had a um, impossible to ignore older male fan base who called themselves the bronies. That's kind of subsided since, but for a couple of years, they dominated discussion of both this property and just the internet in general. Kind of curious how that came to be. Uh, from what I've, from what it's been told to me, uh, the the bronies, as they call themselves, a lot of them are on the spectrum. And you know, My Little Pony friendship is magic. Uh, one of its narrative themes is uh, apparently just sort of introducing social cues to people and teaching people how to interact with each other in certain ways. And since they're talking to small children, people who are on the spectrum, where stuff like that isn't you know, nakedly apparent are able to pick up on it in ways that other things won't. And uh, that is kind of the grounds for a lot of the appeal. I mean, stop me if I'm putting my foot in my mouth. I mean, I hadn't really considered that, um, but I could totally see Twilight Sparkle's arc for the first season being very um, easy to empathize with. Um, having a lot of social struggles myself, missing a lot of social ske- social social cues. Uh, she basically the, the the name friendship is magic comes from the fact that she's trying to be this serious magician, but learning magic is like studied. Um, it's like an academic discipline, and she's devoted so much time to um, study, so basically to her special interest that she's completely neglected having a social life and she's actually stationed in among the other ponies uh, by the monarch so that she can learn the importance and values of social skills. And she has to like report on what she's learning about friendship um, as homework at the end of every episode. So yeah, I I could see that making perfect sense. Uh, One of my friends who is obsessed with my little pony is also a huge Star Trek fan. And um, she often compares Spock, Spock to Twilight Sparkle, and I did hear that a lot of people who aren't neurotypical 
uh, from the boomer era really identified with Spock while they were growing up, you know, before terms like um, Asperger's and autism had any kind of, like, mainstream cash. They had this character that they saw on TV every day that they empathized with. Yeah, um, and Twilight Sparkle also, like, she does exhibit a certain amount of autistic behavior, and there's a total meltdown in season two when her deadline is going to pass and she's going to fail an assignment. Yeah, getting back to the Star Trek parallels, I, I hear that one of the main villains in the Friendship is Magic is like this chaos demon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy who voices him is also Q on Next Generation, and that's basically the same character. I didn't get as far with Friendship is Magic, um, which I feel a little embarrassed admitting because like, it is so much better than the 1980s ponies. Uh, but I did just see the first two seasons. Yeah, I saw a couple of episodes, and I understood that it was well-made, but, you know, it's not well-made for me. Yeah. I mean, I get why other people like it, but I'm not a five-year-old girl or a 19-year-old boy who doesn't pick up on social cues. I mean, I don't pick up on a lot of social cues, but not to the point where My Little Ponies can help me. <laughs> oh, come on. You have plenty to learn about friendship. <laughs> that is definitely true. <laughs> okay. Um... I think that covers just about everything I wanted to um, go into, except for um, except for one thing. Usually at the end of these episodes, I uh, try to ask the guests what is it about the about the film that I think, at least to them or to the culture at large, has some kind of you know staying power. I asked Rachel why she considers Citizen Kane to be such a big deal, and I was kind of wondering, like, out of all of the girly TV products that were put out in the '80s, why did My Little Pony catch on in ways that a lot of other failed products didn't? Like, we had a bunch of pilot episodes, uh, PJ Spark the bitsy bears that never got never gotten made like why do you think my little pony worked for you and for people in general that is a tough one to answer i'm not really sure because it honestly doesn't seem any better or worse than like pj sparkle maybe it has something to do with horse girl culture in general um being able to draw from that because that's never going away there's always going to be horse girls uh yeah that was something i was going to bring up if you weren't although i was expecting you to it's like girls like horses sometimes that's enough yeah and like they're pleasing colors uh they have the best combination of having like a stuffed animal and a doll in one because you can brain and play with their names um i honestly think the toys were the more appealing part than the cartoon itself, but having them both go together did wonders for me. Yeah, one thing I did want to bring up was a, sort of a, a paucity of options. Like for boy cartoons, you had your Transformers, you had your Ninja Turtles, you had your uh, you had your He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, you had your Thundercats, you had Mask, you had a, a legion of other things that I can't remember at the moment. For girl stuff... It was She-Ra, and My Little Pony. Yeah, and arguably the Care Bears, and that was kind of it. I mean, it was a toddler cartoon too, but I don't think it was necessarily gender specific. A little yeah. more girly, but yeah, the cat. Nobody was gonna be weird about it, like a two-year-old boy also being mesmerized by the Care Bears. Yeah, do the Cabbage Patch Kids count? Eh. Yeah, yeah uh, one thing that I was brought up in a Royal Ocean Film Society review was that uh, film marketing sort of took this tack that uh, basically it breaks down as this. A younger child will watch anything that an older child will watch, but not necessarily the other way around. A girl child will watch anything that a boy child will watch, but not necessarily the other way around. Therefore, if you want to get the widest demographic possible, your ideal audience is the 16-year-old boy. That makes sense. 
because lots of little girls like the Ninja Turtles, but uh, as I said before, I would have never admitted to watching My Little Pony if I was six years old. And you did occasionally play with the with the pony dolls with um, me and our little sisters, but you had to make sure that you brought lots of other masculine toys along with the ponies. Like, we wouldn't play ponies alone, we would play ponies and Ninja Turtles. Yeah, they all existed in the same continuity. It was glorious. It was actually kind of, like, freakishly elaborate. We had um, economic systems and, like, political divisions and stuff. It was, it was pretty elaborate. Yeah, yeah, the Barbies were the dictators of Ponyland, and the Ninja Turtles and the X-Men, who were basically one, like, like amorphous blob of a group, were there to sort of, like fight supervillains, and they sort of campaigned for social justice, but not to a point where they upended the Barbie-centric status quo. And another thing that I remember you using these terms and explaining them to me when we were like six and seven years old, the action figures all lived in your room, and that uh, world functioned under anarchy and had no reliable um, system of currency of its own. Uh, the currency all was in me and my sister's room, which was Lego bricks. And so all of the bad guys from your room had to rob my my bedroom, those toys, apparently. We, we didn't use the word capitalism, although we did use anarchy. But capitalism only existed in my room. So for there to be something to rob, they had to go there. So we didn't have our own superheroes with the Barbies and Ponies, but they would come and defend us from your room. Yes, people, I was always like this. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, that's everything. Uh, uh, join me next time. Uh, I know Rachel discussed what uh, film she wanted to discuss on the next episode. I don't think we've settled on something for you. Um, I am still leaning towards uh, comparing um, the two early versions of Layman's, the 1930s and the 1950s version. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. You know, either that one or something else. At some point. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Good night.